Ben Affleck's second film, The Town, blew everyone's expectations out of the water as he crafted one of the great heist films of the 21st century and a love letter to Boston. Let's break down The Town. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to another episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are a wicked awesome podcast guy. <laughs> and today, we're talking about our hometown, Boston, Massachusetts, with one of the great Boston movies of all time, The Town Guy. The Town, directed by Ben Affleck, which was his second film. He made Gone Baby Gone, which was excellent. That was surprised a lot of people in Hollywood. This guy's got some directing chops, starring his brother, Casey Affleck, and, you know, another movie set in Boston. But I don't think anyone expected the town to be as great as it was and such a huge hit this was kind of a sleeper action film and heist movie from ben affleck who came off a rough like 2000s in his you know his career and personal life being a tabloid machine in terms of just so much attention the negativity towards him from like public opinion taking a lot of bad movie roles but then he comes out as a director and writer and becomes this great triple th threat if not the best triple threat in hollywood right now in terms of writing directing and acting in his own movies with gone baby gone he didn't act in, but he directed but the town and then argo obviously argo fuck yourself and then uh, Live by Night wasn't amazing. It's but all right. But he's made three very excellent movies, and I think this one was just out of nowhere, just surprised so many people. And I rewatched it last night for like the fourth time. I hadn't seen it in a while. It still hits. It's still awesome. And when it comes to heist movies, action movies in general, and shootouts in heist movies, this is a, a like a contemporary heat. You forgot another great movie, Air. Air, of course. He's made Air. four awesome yeah. movies. But yes, we it's a fucking shootout in Fenway Park. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. It was like a, a Massachusetts movie fan's dream to watch. I remember watching this for the first time and like, oh my God, they had a full-blown shootout with SWAT and police inside of Fenway Park. Are you kidding me? There's one thing missing, though. What? There's no Duncan D's kid. No Duncan no D's. Duncan they couldn't Donuts. get the rights. Yeah. <laughs> I bet Duncan's wanted a little bit more money. It, ironically, now he's like the face of Duncan Donuts. Yeah, right? <laughs> he's, the, he's the sponsor, the spokesperson. Now, before we get into the town, our short film, Midnight Ruin, is out now on YouTube. Feel free to follow the links in our bios. Go to our YouTube channel and watch Midnight Ruin. We hope you all enjoy it. And if you'd like to leave a rating on Letterboxd and IMDb, that would be amazing, as well as entering our movie poster contest. In order to enter that contest from movieposters.com, leave a rating for Midnight Ruin on IMDb, screenshot that rating, and send it to us on DMs on Instagram. That enters you into the contest. Good luck, everybody, and we hope so much that you enjoy the movie. Now let's get back into The Town. But I love The Town. It's my favorite Cops and Robbers movie after Heat because what what works so well with Gone Baby Gone is Ben Affleck, he tunes into the culture and the community of the areas of Boston. And he does this great thing with all of his, almost all of his films except for Live by Night. He does a great kind of montage of the community and the culture to open his films. It happens in Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, it gets stealthy. Yeah, it happens in The Town with, with Charleston. Charlestown. Charleston. Charleston. Charleston shoes. And then it happens in Argo. We get the documentary footage of the environment and the battling that's going on. And then in Air, we got a montage of the era of the eight of the eighties with this with a great supercut of popular culture in the eighties. So Ben Affleck does a great job 
of inserting the whatever the culture and era is into the minds of the audience immediately into the film. It's the first thing you see in, in his movies, which I think is really smart, especially with Boston movies, because you're getting a sense for the community. You're getting, getting a sense for what people look like, how they dress, what the environments feel like. And Charlestown in the Boston area, like any other city or big um, state, like people dress a certain way. There are styles in every city, and it'll change from city to city, except for something like L.A. where everybody is a transplant. But there is a way of dressing, addressing in a way of wearing your hair um, as women and guys. Like the the high fades in this movie are spot on because spot on. every guy has a high fade in Boston for most of their life. If it was summertime, there'd be a lot of cargo shorts yes. too. <laughs> so true. A lot of cargo shorts and Boston Red Sox t-shirts. <laughs> so he also captures just the tone of what it looks like for someone from the area. He's such a smart director. And I think, you know, something he does a great job of with this film specifically is surrounding himself with great talent, not just great actors, but great behind the camera talent. We have Robert Ellswich, cinematographer, cinematographer for this movie. But I mean, the cast is absolutely stacked. Besides Ben, we have Jeremy Renner, who is awesome in this movie. He feels more like he's from Boston than Ben Affleck yeah, in this movie. He looks, he's incredible. I, like, you know people like Jeremy Renner in this yeah. movie. Not like Roberts, but like people who talk like him, who act like him, kind of like a wild card sort of character, as well as John Hamm as an FBI agent in this movie. Excellent cast. Rebecca Hall as the main love interest, the girl who works as the manager at the bank that sh they she gets taken hostage in the first heist. But just excellent surrounding cast. Chris Cooper as well. I think it's a really smart thing of him. As well as, like you said, Cops and Robbers. It's such a great genre, but he made it fresh by inserting Boston as a character. And also with great imagery. I, the poster was fantastic with, with the nun outfit. So the nun mask. I mean, the... The old lady mask with the nun outfit. That was like the main selling point for the film. It's holding, an old nun, Anthony. Yeah, holding. <laughs> it's an old nun. Yeah, just an old nun. It's an old lady mask. It's an old lady. She's a human, and she also has been working at a church her entire life as a nun. You mean an old nun? So yeah. Anyways, an old nun with the machine gun. That was the poster, and everybody was like, "Holy shit!" This is so. It had like an, an imagery to it that really set itself apart from other films in the crime era because this is a time when crime movies were still pretty high, very popular. I mean, they still come out, but... Boston was hot. Boston was super the hot. The Departed, yeah. Gone Baby Gone, now this. The Fida. The Fida was 2011 or <laughs> yeah, 2010, too. Yeah, yeah, filmed around the same time, so it was definitely hot. Right now, uh, Italy is hot as fuck in well, Hollywood. It's funny, because we, we keep saying hot. People are like, you mean hot? Hot. The accent, we can't say hot. We, we say hot, it, hot, hot as hot. Hot, 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 hot. Yeah, hot. kid. It's fucking hot, guy. <laughs> but all, Well, I will say, the, the posters for this movie... Aren't the, posters. <laughs> the posters aren't terrific. I will say that. There's a couple good ones. But, I mean, there's not much you can do creative-wise. But I will say the trailer and the imagery of the nuns robbing the uh, robbing the armored truck, this movie had juice to it in terms of anticipation and excitement and curiosity because of sequences like that, bringing freshness to robbers and cops and robbers with kinds of outfits as yeah. well as the, the um, what would you call them, the, the first heist where the, the Grim Reaper outfits. Yeah. But not to mention... This movie was only a $37 million budget and ended up making $154 million worldwide. Damn. But the production value looks so high because the third act, we're at Fenway, kid. The third act heist is at Fenway, the trailer. Are you e kidding me? Everyone was so juiced to see this movie. <laughs> a, a robbery at Fenway? Sign me up. So the production value is so high. And I mean, who else but like Ben Affleck can get like access to Fenway like that? I'm sure... Only like parts of it as well as off season or like when the team's not home. Yeah. Shooting is a lot easier than you'd sound, but 
I mean, it's not like John Henry's letting anyone film a movie there. And when it comes to movies shot at Fenway, Fever Pitch is trash. <laughs> and the, the, worst, ta- the, the town worst Boston is, movie. The town is sick. Fever Pitch is the worst Boston movie. Nobody, like... It's, no one's it's, like that. It's not true. It's, like, it's so inaccurate. Are, no one's like that in Boston. It's so inaccurate for the culture. That's oh why Jimmy God. Fallon's movie career ended. <laughs> Fever Boston pitch. Take Thank it. God. <laughs> the curse of the Bambino ended and the curse of Jimmy Fallon in movies ended as he's well. He's a New Yorker though, isn't he? I think he's from New York. I don't know where he's from. Probably. But he's definitely not from Boston. Speaking of Boston, <laughs> I think a fun way to open the episode would be to rank our uh, Boston accents in this film. Oh, that's a good idea. So, not everybody has an accent. I think uh, John Hamm. Pretty much was like, I'm not doing a Boston accent. He is kind of an outsider. Not everyone from Massachusetts yeah. has an exactly. accent. Some people have subtle accents. It's usually the closer you are to the city, the thicker people's accents are. Like exactly. if you're also if you're blue collar, like low income, like if you like grew up in Charlestown and Southie, like it's it's different. But then even people in Worcester, they'll have accents even though they're 40 minutes away from the city. People in New Hampshire will have the accent. So it's all <laughs> over the place. But not everyone in Massachusetts has an accent. Yes. Especially if you're a yuppie, you don't have one usually. So I thought it was Or sm- you'll fake it at parties. Yeah, I thought it was smart that not every main character had an accent. And Rebecca Hall also doesn't have an accent. She's more of an outsider to the area. She's a toonie. We'll go over the slang in this movie. So let's rank accents for the lead cast. So Ben Affleck. What's your rating out of 10? Giving him a 9 out of 10. Because he's an actor who's from Boston. Most of them, they lose their accents as they get into acting. And then they bring it back for specific roles. I think he did an awesome job bringing it back. But he's not born in Boston. But he got his accent, you know, as growing up in Massachusetts. Yeah. In Cambridge uh, near near Matt Damon. But I think his, his accent's terrific in this movie. Yeah, I give him an 8.5, not quite a 9. It's very strong. And it's pretty, sounds pretty great. He does drop it a couple of times. It's not completely consistent, but it's it's when compared to any other actor, it's top tier for sure. Yeah, you can tell when someone loses their accent for professional purposes. I mean, if you want to be an actor or like a radio show host, you got to drop that accent. Yeah, train it. That's why they train we, it out. We don't talk like this on the podcast all day. I mean, Boston Jim isn't here anymore. Yeah, Boston Jim's dead. <laughs> I, I pushed him off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> and his used Honda. <laughs> used Honda. <laughs> the Honda Civic. It was his mom's The Honda, Honda. Civic's going to be the most common car it was, in Boston. It was his mother's Civic. <laughs> <laughs> is that the most common car in Boston? I think it's it up is. There. It's, it's up Honda, there. The Honda, like 2004 Honda Civic. It's pretty up there. So many of them. So, all right, who's next? Jeremy Renner out of 10. 15 out of 10. Jeremy Renner, his performance in this movie, it might be the best Boston character I've ever seen on film in terms of the personality and the accents. He nails it so well. It's incredible. And he surrounded himself and did a lot of research with actual robbers and thieves from Charlestown, from Boston area to really nail the accent. But you can tell he did his homework and he put a lot of work into this role. He got an Oscar nomination, but he's terrific. His accent is stellar. Yeah, I give Jeremy Renner a 9.5 out of 10. It's really, it's for a non-Boston, Massachusetts-based actor. It's the it's up there with Lee DiCaprio in the, the Departed. It's just all it's just fantastic. It's it's better than Ben's in this movie. Yeah. It really is better. Like he has he f- like when you watch him, you know Ben's from Boston, but when you watch this, Renner feels like he's from Boston. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's that difference. It's a slight difference, but he just he nails the the little idiosyncrasies of not just the accent, but the 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 way he carries himself, the inflections of the voice and. And the tone of it. It's, the personality. It's very specific, yeah. yeah. I mean, when it comes to talent, Jeremy Renner is the most talented actor in the movie, probably. And then, I mean, Ben's always been a talented guy. He's a talented actor. He's never going to win an Oscar for acting. But Jeremy Renner, he's just a different level of actor. He's that good. Yeah, I agree. 
All right, next up we have Blake Lively. I think Blake did a really good job. I'd give her like a 7.58 around for, for her accent. I think it was solid. I think she gets a lot of hate for it, but I think it was good too. I'd give her a 7 out of 10. Yeah, it sounds like if you went to a bar in, in, in Boston. <laughs> she had she put on that smoky voice like she's been ripping butts all her life. Yeah, ripping cigs yeah. and drinking whiskey sours all night. She, I think she did a great job. Uh, and she does get, a, I've seen online, she gets quite a bit of flack, but I think she, out of the rest of the cast, she did a great job. She blew me away the first time I saw this movie. Yeah, I, like, I, thought she, I thought she was pretty believable. Next up, we have Chris Cooper. Chris is great. Uh, I give him a seven. It's, he's only in really just that one scene, so you don't hear too much of it, but it's more of like a prison drawl that he's got going on. But I think it's really solid. Yeah. It's not like, it, it's not as good as Renner's, but it's solid. So Chris Cooper is also a um, Massachusetts native. And he actually started out, started out in a lot of Massachusetts, Boston-based TV movies. So he was actually in an episode of The Equalizer no back way. in the 80s. So, so he probably – it's so, probably real and natural. Yeah. So it's not like an it's overdone. It's not over the top. Yeah. I would say out of 10, it's, I gave it a 7 because he does drop it a little bit. Not that he's – I mean, he, he's also one of the most talented actors in this film. And he's such a reliable actor in any movie he's in. But it does – it's not quite 100% there the whole time in his conversation. But it's – Probably a different kind of Boston accent is is my guess. I wonder what part of Massachusetts he's in. I think he was he's from, from Northern Mass. If my guess, if I my memory serves me right. Let me see. Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper. Kid. Chris Cooper. Guy. Chris Cooper is from. He's from. He's Northern Mass. Well, he's oh, he's born in Missouri in Kansas. I thought he was from Mass. I think he must have grown up in Maybe Massachusetts. He, I feel like he's from Massachusetts. See, let's see, let's see. Real Chris quick, Cooper. early life. Tell us about your life. Tell us about your life. Um, university. No, I don't think he was from Massachusetts. Really? Yeah, Damn. Missouri. I think you're thinking about Scott Cooper or someone else. Nah, I, I guess I just mixed him up with someone else. So Anthony is wrong. Yeah, Miss, Missouri, Kansas, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and Houston are all the places he was raised. Chris Cooper never spent any time... <laughs> He's never even been to Massachusetts. No, no, he lived. No, okay, here we go. I got it. I got it. He's been living in Massachusetts since 2003. Gotcha. So he moved there. So he's been living there for 20 years now. So, so he, 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 his residence is Massachusetts. Should we just delete the last five minutes of the? No, podcast? no, no. Because no, no, yeah, I was okay. a little right. I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. he's not from there, but he's he resides. Living, he there. lives there. Yeah, it's his home. So that makes sense for his accent not being perfect. Yeah. So that actually makes a lot of sense. Next up, Titus Welliver, who plays the other FBI agent. He's uh, got that TV show Bosch. How do you rate his accent? Bosh, kid. Bosh guy. <laughs> That's the thing when, when you're trying to pinpoint a Boston accent or do one, it's the O words that are important, not the AR words. Like, obviously, everyone knows the cars, pack the car, and have it. Yeah. It's the O words yeah. that really reveal the Boston accent. So, Bosh kid, Boston. Bosh guy. Let's see. I would give him probably like a 7.5. It's solid. I thought he's. His accent's great. Yeah. I gave him a 9 out of 10. 9. His, his accent, he's not, he doesn't have that much dialogue, but he's got some, some dialogue in the interrogation scenes, especially the one with Ben Affleck when they bring him in for questioning. He, and he's, he's from Charlestown, and um, Doug talks to him about like basically betraying his community that took him in. I think Titus Welliver did a great job with his accent. It's really, out of the other actors, it's the best one except for Renner, I would say. Sounds like a cop. Good cop. You're not a cop. It's a good car. It's a good car. All right. How about we run through? Do you want to do superlatives or you want to do that later on? Let's do uh, superlatives in a minute because I want to run at the intermission. Yeah, I want to yeah. run through some stuff. So, the, what is the movie about? The Town was directed by Ben Affleck, written by Ben Affleck and Peter Craig and Aaron Stockard. 
IMDb is a 7.5 with over 400,000 ratings. Rotten Tomatoes, the town is 92% fresh with critics, 85% fresh with audience. Letterboxd, it's only a 3.6. Budget, again, was $37 million. It grossed $154 million globally. It follows Doug McRae, who is a Charlestown local and a career thief, who, smarter than the rest of his crew, is looking for his chance to exit the game in Boston forever. <laughs> when a bank job leads to the group kidnapping a branch manager, he takes on the role of monitoring her, but their burgeoning relationship threatens to unveil the identities of Doug and his crew to the FBI agent who is on their case. Doug is forced <laughs> to take on the biggest and most dangerous job of his life that could end his hopes of a new life with Claire. Boston Jim's coming back. Boston Jim, uh, I love it. He climbed up that cliff. <laughs> he, he made it outside the Honda Civic. It did not blow up. <laughs> but again, when it comes to heist and crime films, heist movies are one of my favorite genres. Yes. That's why I adore the Oceans movies so much. I fucking love the Oceans, man. But the heist genre is so great, but it's hit or miss. There's so many great ones, but also so many meh. When it comes to 21st century, though, this is up there. Obviously, in the crime genre, movies like Heat, like Goodfellas, the Godfather, these are, you know, untouchable. They're in a league of their own, but I think there are parts of the town that you really compare to them, especially this feels like a combination of Heat meets Goodwill Hunting meets Gone Baby Gone meets West Side Story. It's like kind of a mashup of so many all-time movies and stories because we have the great heist sequences from movies like Heat, from movies like The Place Beyond the Pines. We have the relationships like Goodwill Hunting in Boston. Like, so many sequences in Goodwill, in Goodwill Hunting in the town are, like, very similar, but just different. Yeah, with an outsider. Yeah, yeah. Or, but also, like, the sequence at the bar. Like, the, the girlfriend's there, but they're, they're drinking beers and they're having a good time. It's just a very Bostonian thing, as well as, you know, Romeo and Juliet, this forbidden love that can't happen, but it just is inevitable between the two of them. And then West Side Story, where the two lead characters, the two main guys, uh, Tiff and the other guy, it's similar to Jem and Dougie, where Dougie got taken in by Jem's family when he was young. So he was kind of raised by Dougie to an extent in his family and part of his home. And you can make a subgenre, the cops and robbers subgenre. And I do think that the town is up there below. Heat's number one, Heat is untouchable when it comes to the crime cops and robbers movie. But I think the town is probably the second best. And when it comes to cops and robbers, movies like The Place Beyond the Pines, it is, I, I would say that's in that conversation as well. Yes. Even though for the first like half hour to an hour, we don't really have much of a cop's perspective until Bradley Cooper comes into the picture. And then we're getting the cops and robbers storyline. And then that's such a great movie because it's such an epic and spanning Robbers to cops, then kind of a little mixture then of no, both. None, none, then just politics, politics, yeah, and like childhood a, and adolescence yeah. and coming of age. So I, I still think that that's a cops and robbers movie, and that has one of the best chase scenes ever. Yeah, it's an excellent chase scene. And what's so cool is, you know, growing up in the Boston area, we re, films were really sh rarely shot there, and they became popular in the 2000s and 2010s because Boston and Massachusetts offer a great tax break for film productions. And so it became pretty common. There was like that Bruce Willis surrogates movie was shot in Boston. A bunch of other movies in the 2010s and late 2000s were making their productions in the Boston area. And there was even talks about maybe a huge giant studio being built in Rhode Island in Providence, but that ended up falling apart. Uh, there was like some shady business deal. But remember, people were talking about that for a couple of years in the 2010s. Never happened. But it's, it was so cool to see this movie, the grand scale action film 
car chases on Beacon Hill and through Charlestown and and just the shootout with the Boston area and the this the uh cinematography by Robert Ellswood captured great handheld cinematography with the car chases didn't feel like you were losing touch of what was going on there's a great balance between high octane editing and more balanced editing it never felt overwhelmed but it was cool to see these car chases through the narrow winding streets and the, the grid roads of the Boston area which are very narrow um, very old very tight like we're yeah. in the north end with yeah. the uh, the heist with the nuns yeah. and the, the armored truck that's in the north end very tight corners these old cobblestone streets everywhere it's awesome and then to see the, the you know the bridge and all these shots but just to see the architecture done because uh, Boston's a really, very beautiful city and all the neighborhoods have a different feeling to them and you get to see that in a film like this because every robbery takes place basically in a different area and they never repeat the same location twice so you get to see the, the different, basically, kind of like boroughs of the of prop Boston, Boston proper in this film. And then they always go back to Charlestown, obviously. And then opening with the shot of Bunker Hill is great. Bunker Bun Hill. Bunker Hill. Don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes. Great revolutionary history right there. Bunker Chill guy. And Ben really took full advantage of the city, really making it feel like a character in the movie, making it a part of this world, and making you feel like you're in this historic and very old city in this country. And... One of the greatest elements to this film that I think many people in New England and Massachusetts can find highly relatable and, you know, tragic at the same time is addiction, alcoholism, and Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, a lot of people in Massachusetts, they know people, either friends, family members, relatives that are in AA, that are in NA, that have suffered from alcoholism, that have suffered from drug addiction, and making that a, a huge motif of the film as well as the backstory for Dougie being a recovered, a recovering addict. You're always in recovery. You're a recovering addict from not just the typical, like usually movies like you're, you're used to do heroin or something like that. Oxycontin, especially in this time, was huge in Massachusetts, still is. It's a huge problem that no one really is talking about nationally in Massachusetts. A lot of kids are overdosing on Oxycontins every single year. But having that as a main motif and part of the film when it comes to drugs is very relevant to this city, to Massachusetts in general. AA, we have family in AA. Our uncle is in the scene, the, the Alcoholics, Anon uh, Alcoholics Anonymous scene. Our uncle is in that scene as an extra. It's really cool to see him. I forgot he was in the movie. Yeah. Then I'm watching the other, like, hey, it's uncle. <laughs> yeah, because Ben Affleck used real AA members, and that was a real group. And the, the, the guy speaking, talking about the Eskimo and his story being his wife, and that's a real member of AA. And all the people in that scene are real. And, and Ben Affleck, I think, uh, wisely borrows from filmmakers like the Coen brothers where whenever they're in a location, they try to populate their film with as many local talent as possible. And not even talent, but just local people to give the feeling and the essence of the culture and let it really permeate in the, on the screen rather than a production team being like, let's emulate what people look and sound like there. Let's actually pull people from there. And it really makes a difference. So Ben Affleck in all of his movies ha has used people from the community in his actual films and that's a great example of being inside like a real AA group and really sitting in that meeting and you can feel it you can feel it in the air and when you when you look at that group if you've ever been to yeah, AA yeah that looks like an AA group because we actually it's in our family we've we've been to AA meetings as kids we've been around that environment and community so we have experience with that and when you when you when I see it on the screen I'm like that looks correct that looks exactly right and he takes it even a step further the two other guys in the crew, obviously we have Jem and we have Dougie, but then we have Albert, Glonzy, and then we have Desi, Desmond. 
These are played by George Carroll and Owen Burke. They're locals to Massachusetts, to Boston, and they're they. I believe they were probably. I'm not sure if they were actors. This they came well, to open casting calls. So uh, George Carroll, he was in Gone Baby Gone. Okay, he's the guy that helped with the deal. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drove, like, drove from the SUV, yeah. go to the warehouse to meet up with the other with the um that other um, thug. The other criminal, he's so he worked with Ben, and back then that was his first movie role as like a non actor acting in a movie. And then yeah, he, so he and plays then, Bubba, exact Bubba, that's his name. So Ben, obviously, you're you're like perfect for that film, and he wisely cast him again in this film because those two guys, they look so Boston, it's crazy. It's like that's what Boston guys generally like. The, if you're gonna think of a Boston guy. That's it. They're from ta- yeah. They're from the Charlestown. They're yeah, from Southie. They're from the Boston area. So that's taking a step further. Yeah. I mean, Charlestown is so iconic in Massachusetts. If you're from there, I feel like most people nationally or around the world, they've heard of Southie because of the Wahlberg brothers. You know, the Wahlbergs are from Southie. But north side of Boston, there's Charlestown. And there kind of had always been a rivalry bet- between Charlestown and Southie. Charlestown's called the town, even though this this is also based off a book called Den of Thieves. But there was always that tri- that rivalry between Southie and Charlestown, just like when Dougie f- is talking to his father in prison. He's talking about how the dad's talking about how the the Southie uh, the Southie kids are just trying to run stuff in the prison, yeah. and then Dougie eventually finds out, obviously spoilers, that his dad gets killed in prison, probably by the Southie kids. And the Selfie gang. So there's always been a rivalry rivalry between Charlestown and Selfie. And again, the town's based loosely off Chuck Hogan's book, Prince of Thieves. And in 1995, the Boston Globe ran an article which inspired the film's prologue of this movie, the opening credit roll, and actually noted that more armored car robbers are traced to Charlestown than any other neighborhood in the entire country this is bo- this is based on fbi statistics at the time in 1995 it's not because those criminals made sloppy getaways and they got caught there it's because this is a small community adheres to omerda silence up unto death according to den of geek and they don't rat you know they don't tell each other that's why dougie thinks so negatively of the detective of the fbi agent who's from charlestown and the crew at the center of the town resembles a gang of five masked robbers who pulled holdups holdups from 1992 1995 and after a seven-day trial they were convicted of 55 counts of robbery including one which resulted in the death of two armored car guards and they went to jail because there were cracks in the pavement leaks on the street so they got ratted on eventually wow that's amazing what I love about the film is how Ben Affleck staged and shot his action sequences because they have a great propulsive feeling to them. And Robert Ellswit is one of the best DPs alive and of all time. He won an Oscar for There Will Be Blood, so he is an all-time DP. I really like the way that this film is edited too, especially the first robbery. So with the first robbery, Ben and his editor, they do this combination of cutting to the security footage with silence so it'll be like they break in they burst through the door and start holding people up and then it cuts to security footage silence then we do some more stuff in the bank then it cuts back to the security footage and more silence he does that about six or seven times throughout that sequence and it really is something i've never seen before in a heist film and it's right off the bat it pulls you in and it's just fantastic editing that opening sequence a lot rides on if you're gonna do a robbery movie, it a lot rides on your first robbery scene. And I'm sorry, we're gonna keep going. 
don't know. I'm just going to say it. And, and so, like, if you can pull it off and if you can make the audience feel like they've seen something they hadn't seen before, that gets them ready and really geared up for the rest of the film. And going back on, going on that some more, seeing something you've never seen before. These heists are all unique. You've never really seen it done quite like this before. The blocking is terrific in the mall. I mean, starting with the first heist, the, the uh, Grim Reaper heist, you could say, when they're robbing the bank. It's doing things like pouring bleach everywhere, showing the discipline and also the intelligence and experience of this crew. They are a different breed of robbers. They know what they're doing. They have a system. They're very intelligent. They immediately find the traced bills and the markers. They bleach everything to not only get rid of fingerprints, but DNA as well as to eliminate possibility of identifying fibers from clothing. It's just really clever as well as it has the cliches that you kind of need in heist movies where we have a crew where two guys are just basically the the average grunt workers for a crew. Then we have the brains of the operation, who's Dougie. And then we have the wild card, who's Jim. And the muscle. And the, Yeah, he's the muscle at the yeah. same time. You need that kind of guy as well. But he does put them in tight situations, like so, taking Claire as a hostage. Exactly. And there's one other note thing, another detail for showing their experiences before robberies. They... In the showers in the morning, they do that intense scrubs on their yeah. skins. That's to get rid of any dead skin and loose fibers that could fall off during a heist. So it's what happens when you watch a lot of CSI? <laughs> bones. CSI, CSI Miami, Las Vegas, all of, all them. of them. Bones, too. <laughs> also, when they break, great detail, when they break into the first bank and they get into the vault finally, what's the first thing that they do? They didn't go for the cash. The first thing they do is they go for the hard drives of the security footage and the cameras. And they fry those. They get that done first before. I mean, also things like uh, uh, zip-tying the door shut, zip-tying everybody. It's yeah. just really clever stuff. They've done this clearly several times. But the script is really tightly written. And you can see it in the first uh, moments before that heist where Affleck's Dougie is doing narration about the security guards of the armored car and describing them in narration. And then, then it cuts to... Them, the four of them are sitting inside. Um, looks like a, either a room or a van. And Dougie re reiterates, we don't want to kill anyone. We don't want anyone to get hurt. But then you get this little subtle hint of Jem. And he goes, if basically, I can't remember exactly. Don't get in their way. Don't, like, their, don't stop them if the, they want to get hurt for $10 an yeah, hour. Exactly. So Doug, uh, so Doug is like, we don't want any hurt, any violence. But then Jem's like, if they're looking for it, I'm down for it. Like That shows that. He is the reckless one. It's a very subtle characterization. It's not like he's saying, like, if they fuck with me, I'm going to blow them away. It's much more subtle than that, but it showcases really immediately Doug's the leader in the the mastermind. The other two are the guys they can trust and also the, the, the soldiers. But Jem is, like you said, the wild card, but also the much more reckless one and someone who craves violence and someone who probably enjoys violence. And these two characters are the key to this movie. Ben Affleck as Doug McRae, and then Jeremy Renner as James Coughlin, a.k.a. Jem. You know, he's he's such a gem, you can have this one. You know, Dougie is highly intelligent. He's troubled, though, in his youth. He's a former addict. He grew up thinking that his mother abandoned him, and it's not until we found out later in the movie, and he finds out later in the movie, that she was an addict who committed suicide, and that it was all orchestrated by Fergie, who's basically runs the block, runs the neighborhood, gets a cut of everything. And Fergie 
got his mother addicted to drugs after his father turned down a job. And you can also assume that maybe Fergie set his father up to get arrested and, and like messed up that job, which is why he got pinched and got put in jail for five life sentences. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can imagine that. Because yeah. he, got, he got arrested, but then they, they took out the guards as well. They shot the guards. So Dougie's a really troubled person, but also he's wicked smart. And he was once drafted in the NHL. He got drafted. He had a second chance at a hockey career. But because he couldn't escape his past, he couldn't escape his youth, his troubled life, and his addiction probably at that age, he got in fights. He couldn't skate backwards as he jokes. And he got cut, basically. He couldn't He couldn't cut it in the NHL as a player. But he had the potential to be to get out. And that's why his character is the lead. And he has a great arc of trying to have a second chance at life outside of Charlestown trying to get out of there. And then we have Jem, James Coughlin, played by Jeremy Renner, who's, again, absolutely incredible in this movie. Sounds so Bostonian. Again, he surrounded himself with convicted bank robbers from Charlestown from research. Ben Affleck originally wanted Mark Wahlberg for the role of James Coughlin, but he was unavailable, unavailable because he was shooting The Fighter, which took place in Lowell, Massachusetts, which also came out in 2010. Boston was on fire. So hot. So hot. It was the Italy of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Everything hasn't been in Italy this year. That's true. <laughs> but and Ben Affleck was struggling to find the right actor for the role of James Coughlin. His younger brother, Casey Affleck, though, suggested Jeremy Renner, who he'd work with on the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford in 2007. And before the movie's release, Ben Affleck praised Jeremy Renner's performance, even jokingly stated that if there was ever a bad shot or performance from someone else in a specific scene, he could just use editing to cut to Renner, who could just be like looking at a napkin and it would make the scene work. Again, he was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance in this two years after the Hurt Locker, right? 2008 was Hurt Locker? Hurt Locker was 2000. It was the year The Dark Knight came out. Yeah, 2008. 2008 yeah. That's how I remember movies. Based <laughs> yeah, based on, on the Dark Knight came out. That's how I remember what point of my life I was at. <laughs> what year did uh, Inception come out? Two, okay, two yeah. years after Dark Knight, so 2010. Yeah, it's, it's easy with Nolan because he makes a movie every two years, except for obviously COVID. What's so cool about this movie, and I actually I want to check this out. So Ben Affleck said that the original cut was four hours long. I'll watch that. Yeah, and after realizing that the film would never appeal to wide audiences, he cut the film down to two hours and 50 minutes. However... The studio loved that cut, but they wanted two hours and ten minutes. So he whittled it down to two hours and ten minutes because they wanted more screenings, more money. Unfortunately, you know, it's just they got to get their way because they're funding it. It feels like that. It feels like there's a there's some stuff that's kind of on yeah. the chopping floor that so would have worked. There's a scene in the third act after uh, Rebecca Hall's character. I'm sorry. What's her name? Uh, Claire. Claire. By the way, Rebecca Hall is fabulous in this movie. We'll talk about her more in a little bit, but she's she's also one of the best actors of the film. After she finds out about Doug being part of that crew, and he goes to her apartment, and he, like, walks inside. The door is, like, unlocked, and then he finds her crying in the bathroom with the phone in her hand, threatening to call the police. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I remember. That seemed like there was five minutes before that of them maybe fighting on the other side of the door. You know what I mean? It's possible. That's what I, from the way the the way it's staged and the way the first dialogue comes out, it seems as though they their scene led to that moment rather than him just going inside. That seemed like a, a scene that was whittled down. I bet you a bunch of the shootouts were whittled down too, especially the Fenway Park one, because 
you know, it's a long sequence, the, yeah. the Fenway heist, which I can't wait to talk about. And the first robbery, that first heist, it's efficient as hell when it comes from a filmmaking standpoint. It has to be. It's the opening heist, so you got to make it quick. You got to make it snazzy because you got to get to the snazzy character. You got to get to the character development. You got to get uh, Act One to Two rolling. But then the second heist, maybe that's the one that's maybe a little over long. But the chase sequence is awesome, so I don't mind it at all. That long chase sequence because you know in the van, then getting chased by the cruisers, and then switching to the jeep cherokee and then racing to the bridge it's an awesome awesome sequence as well as spraying the machine guns for the first time in the movie it's great so the second heist is pretty long maybe it doesn't have to be that long but i don't mind it at all but the fenway heist this is a long sequence that i'm sure there's probably like 10 minutes of the of the fenway job that's on the floor yeah i think that most common sequences cut out of films like this not sequences but even just trimmed scenes are action sequences because they they probably film a ton they want to get enough coverage and, you know, the editor and filmmaker, you can imagine, and I would feel like we would be like this if we made like an awesome action scene, you'd want all of it in. Yeah. And you'd, you'd film it all, you'd be like, oh, this is epic, but then you realize it's 40 minutes and then you definitely have to whittle it down. So I think that you're right. I think the Fenway scene might have been longer, but that being said, it is an excellent sequence. We could just go into the Fenway sequence right now. Well, how about we'll, we got to go to intermission. Oh, yes. I say we go heist by heist. Okay, one, two, three. Let's talk yeah. about more of the characters, then we'll yeah. go to the second heist, then we'll go to the third heist. Fenway, let's save it for the climax, man. We're going to keep people excited for the end of the episode. <laughs> All right? I mean, we, we got we to gotta market the episode. It's a wicked awesome yeah, episode. Yeah, we got a cliffhanger here. But let's head to our intermission. We'll get back to the town. And before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your family and friends. If they love movies, send them the show. If they love Boston, if they're from Massachusetts, send them this episode on the town. We've done Good Will Hunting. We've done so many bangers from Massachusetts. And also, leaving those five-star ratings and reviews are an incredible way to help support us and help us get seen by new people. Spotify, Apple, it's a great place to do those ratings. And Apple, we get to read your written reviews. We'll do one in about a minute. And you can also become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This is a subscription-based form of support. Every single patron has access to two weekly bonus episodes of the show. No one else can view them except for patrons. It's pretty awesome. There are five tiers, $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100. Every tier has specific perks that just get better and better as you go up the ladder. For example, $10, you get access to our Discord where we have watch parties. We chat with you all the time. It's a lot of fun. It's a great community. $25, you get a custom episode as well as some free merch. You pick a topic and we'll do it for you. And $100, it's just, there's so many perks I can't, I don't have time to list them off. It's a wicked awesome it's perk. It's insane. It's a wicked like, awesome it's, perk it's guy. bonkers how many, we should take some away. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like you can come on the show for a fun guest segment after three months. You, you join you, the Devony family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Janice adopts I, you. I adopt you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have a you private, get Juno. <laughs> private watch party. It's amazing. So thank you so, to everyone who is a patron. Sign up with the description. In the description of this episode, there'll be a link. And thank you to our sponsor, MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your movie posters online today. Be sure to use our promo code Raiders10 at MoviePosters.com to get 10% off your order right now. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library. They also do our bi-monthly movie poster giveaway contest. We just did one last week from our Blade Runner 2049 episode. We're also doing the movie poster contest right now this week in order to enter for a chance to win a free movie poster. All you have to do is head on over to the Midnight Ruin IMDb page, 
leave a rating, screenshot that rating, and DM it to us on Instagram. Again, head on over to our short film, Midnight Ruin. It's IMDb page. Leave us a rating, screenshot that, and DM us that screenshot on Instagram. That'll enter you into the movie poster giveaway contest. We'll announce the winner next week. Good luck, everybody. And in the meantime, be sure to use Raiders10, our coupon code, at movieposters.com to get 10% off your order right now. And let's get into our intermission and begin with the movie quote competition. You ready, Anthony? Oh, yeah. Here we go. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, what movie is he, man? <laughs> I'm no martyr. I did it for the money. But it's not worth much if you can't face yourself in the mirror. Respect is the ultimate currency. I was stealing from a man who traded his away for a few dollars. And then he tried to wash away his guilt. Drown it in a lifetime of good deeds and a sea of respectability. It almost worked, too. But inevitably, the further you run from your sins the more exhausted you are when they catch up to you, and they do, certain, it will not fail. Um, Inside Man? Yeah. Nice. Hell yes. Hell yes. Is that is it Denzel's character or Jody's character? It's actually Clive Owen's character. Clive Dalton. Owen. Oh, yeah. fuck yeah. I forgot he was in it. <laughs> like, obviously, the guy who's the fucking narrator of the movie. <laughs> I want you to pay attention very closely to what I'm going to say. I might watch that soon. I love that opening shot of that movie, too. It's brilliant. Okay, here's my quote. Dad, I may not be the best, but I come to believe that I got it in me to be somebody in this world. It's not because I'm so different from you, either. It's because I'm the same. I mean, I can be just as hard-headed and just as tough. I only hope you can be as good a man as you. Came into the second half with an accent there. he's got a slight accent. I have no idea. October Sky. Hall talking to his dad, played by Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper guy. Name Howard? Howard. No, Homer. Homer? Homer. That's his first name in the movie? Let me double check. Homer, Howard, Howard His name's Homer, Homer Simpson. Howard Homer. <laughs> October Sky. Hall's character is Homer Hickam. Homer Hickam. Homer yeah, Hickam. Isn't that what I just said? No, you said Homer Howard. Howard Homer. Moving on to guess this movie release year. What year did Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels come out? 1998. Yeah. For two, baby. Wow, he's on fire today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> what year did October Sky come out? What did I get? Before is this before or after Donnie Darko? Um, nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, ninety nine, oh for two. <laughs> All right, movie pop quiz time. Who starred in the original The Italian Job? You were supposed to blow off the bloody... You were supposed to blow the damn doors off. <laughs> I won't bury another... Bye-bye. It's Michael Caine. <laughs> I won't bury another... You're only supposed to blow the damn doors off. They blow up the whole car. <laughs> he, he hooks up with seven different women in the, first, in the first 25 minutes of that movie. It's insane. It's insane. He's very cool. The 70s, man. They were like, fuck it. He's very suave in that it movie. It was the 60s. It's like 60... That was 67 60, or something? 68 something like or 69. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, yeah, because the whole the whole car blows up. Yeah, the whole thing. That's where that famous quote's from. You're supposed to blow the doors off. <laughs> Man, three for three. How you like them? How you like them apples? <laughs> All right, my quiz question. Chris Cooper appeared in what Mel Gibson movie? Oh, come on, man. The Patriot. Hell yeah. <laughs> Plays the colonel. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Oh, yeah. Probably the first thing we saw him in. Maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. That was a huge movie. That movie is fucking awesome. That was a big movie. We should do it because it, people love that movie. Patriot's epic. Patriot's awesome. He's terrible at making chairs, too. Yeah, they never, like, stand straight, right? No, they always collapse. They collapse? They look oh, yeah, nice. when he sits on Whenever it. he sits on it, yeah. the opening's like, oh, it actually worked. Then he crashes. That movie, it's got that charm to it. It does. You know what I mean? Yeah. It has, it has so much of a tone range, tonal range. It's like there was a year in the 2000s where just movies changed forever. And, like, that tone that used to work, especially in these long movies yeah. and war movies, even, it worked. Because really that's, well. a, that's a big movie. It's got a lot of disturbing sequences a lot of violence but then it's got that charm to it and that nice little light comedy the black teeth tea oh my the great, god the ink I love tea the that's the great tea. Yeah, yeah stuff like ink that it's very cute that's why oh man when he dies in that movie it's so sad you just think about the life they would have had and then when the church gets burned down huh man and then movie. with the bullets he t oh, you're like he better kill all the fucking British with those bullets I love revenge movies yeah. I adore them Gibson was big revenge guy. and what's cool about that movie is he just takes down the redcoats himself <laughs> it's just like remember the meme i made so i made a video meme when dune got pushed to 2024 oh, yeah. and i made the meme of after axing yeah when he's literally axing the last guy and he, he looks up and looks at his kids covered in blood in slow motion <laughs> and the kids like oh shit that's how i and felt I, it was like pov me when they pushed dune to 2024 still not over it moving on <laughs> we have any haters this week, Anthony? Oh yeah, we, we got some, we got some haters. Do we have some real haters? Or just... we have we do have a real hater. All right, cool. Yes. Do you have a real hater? No. Okay. So, one second. I just got a ton of screenshots here. It was a re it was a real hater. Just screenshots of selfies of himself. <laughs> For I'll get to the unsubscribes first. So we got some on our Midnight Ruin posts. Chipotle wrote. I followed you guys for a movie podcast, not a short film. Unsubscribe. <laughs> That's fucking great. Oh my god. That's the best I comment fucking, ever. I fucking died when I saw that. <laughs> uh, Leo Garvey wrote, No after scene credits to tease the next movie. Unsubscribe. <laughs> Yeah, but it would have been funny if we did that and, like, Nick Fury shows up. <laughs> Dude, for real. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still cackling. All of you that guys for a podcast, not a short film. So we have a real hater on our TikTok post about Midnight Ruin when it dropped, um, asking people to watch the film. This guy named Bob on TikTok wrote, a short film is just a fancy way of saying YouTube video. But then our guy, That's really rude. Brayden, our fan, wrote, he, respo he responded, they hate us because they ate us. <laughs> they give Academy Awards to short films. Jesus, dude. And then... I'm not sure if this is... A... It's okay. The only short films he watches yeah. are on Cornhub, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he watches five a night. And <laughs> that's it for unsubscribes. But we have... We got so many great comments, so many great reviews in Letterboxd of Midnight Ruin. Like a lot of like the joke ones. So in our next Letterbox episode, I think it would be fun to read the funniest Midnight Ruin so reviews. That'd be great. Because there's some, they're so funny. Like some, some great comedy in our in our fan base. 
we got a bunch of funny listeners. We have a great five-star review on Apple Podcasts from Lexi, amazing film and TV podcast. I should have written a, re a review sooner rather than later. Their content is not only amazing, but relatable, yet adds depth into cinema. I didn't even know to add. I thought it was a movie TV. I thought I was a movie TV buff, but these guys take the cake. It's so hard to find podcast content that can make it fun to watch and listen to. I love sharing their content with family and friends. I even made another social media account just to follow them again. Aww. What? If that doesn't scream ultimate movie and TV podcast, I don't know what does. Lexi, that's very sweet. Lexi, thanks for all the analytics. Two well, accounts. Hey, who else has done two accounts? <laughs> all you listeners need to step your game up. You only have those one account that you follow numbers. us from? Come rookie on. Numbers. Yeah, we need to bump those numbers up. <laughs> Lexi, thank you for the review. We I appreciate love that. it. We're almost at 1,800 on Apple Podcasts. Oh, we're good. We're like 1782. So let's get those numbers up, everybody. Chugging along. <laughs> we are chugging along. Now, my streaming recommendation for this episode is another heist film. The Place Beyond the Pines. I can't recommend it enough. It's like a half heist film, half coming-of-age epic. Stars has it right now. But you can also get like the seven-day free trial on Amazon if you get it. It's a great movie. We, we gotta cover it. We gotta cover it. People love it. I mean, it stars literally, literally me. me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be the best movie joke in years. Is just every guy saying they're Ryan Gosling. It's so great. It's it's. How did it happen? I don't know. Where did this come from? From Drive. From yeah. Where did that literally me start? Like it's one of those things where it's just like some random comment started it all yeah, imagine it was, that one well, one comment it started because like so many guys like oh like i i'm so much like drive driver yes. and driver i'm i'm like ryan gosling i, I think like we're so full of hubris that we think we're ryan gosling <laughs> like i look like ryan gosling yeah yeah i'm totally I'm, that's like totally me literally me it's because he's so cool who's the first person to write literally me in a comment we gotta find I'm, them. i'm just so curious how like who about ryan gosling that started the fires like what, what that first one was and then someone else the saw that, and they wrote literally me. And then it just started fucking a chain reaction. The, the really cool thing about it, though, is it's literally me. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> In this movie, Place Me on the Pines. <laughs> I have a special streamer recommendation tonight. Uh, Midnight Ruin. Oh, yeah. It's this great short film made by a, a couple of uh, Bostonian brothers. Yeah, kid. Putting Waltham on the map, baby. Oh, yeah. It's available on YouTube. It's a great short film, 18, 18 minutes long, and I highly recommend you check it out. I really wish my cameo didn't get cut, though. <laughs> <laughs> People have been asking about it. We're, We're going to release the director's, director's cut. cut. Yeah, the director's cut will have a lot more scenes. Yeah, James James had a great scene, and we had to cut it, unfortunately. It's pretty good. It's... I we're, people still quote it. People who, people who saw it, they quote, they quote it to me sometimes. It was that it was that great. It was pretty. It good. just didn't work for the short. Yeah, it was. We had to cut it's some scenes. Long. Yeah, it was too long. But Midnight Ruin available on YouTube. Feel free to leave us a rating on IMDb and Letterbox. Now let's get into our superlatives for the town. Oh yeah, and then we'll get back into the town, town, town. Now town. <laughs> I think you said an aneurysm. And also we should go over the Boston slang in this movie. Oh yeah, let's do that after. So for superlatives. Who is your MVP of the town? It's Matt. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Matt David. <laughs> Matt David. Uh, it's just the association with that man. <laughs> it's Ben Affleck, writing, directing, acting in it. He doesn't give the best performance in the movie, but he's the star of this entire production. He's he is it. It's him. Plus, he he plays the stoic archetype. Yeah. So it's less showy of a performance. But I also have Ben Affleck. I also have Matt Damon as my MVP of the town. <laughs> well, what's so great about him with this movie is he didn't, like, overplay his hand. He didn't try to overcomplicate his performance specifically or overshadow anyone. He let everyone just cook. 
He let Jeremy Renner cook his ass off in this movie. He let Robert Ellswick cook his ass off. He's everyone, everyone do like surrounding himself with such talented people was the key. It was a buffet. Yeah, it was a buffet of <laughs> delicious meals. Michelin star meal, Michelin star meal. He just cooked his ass off. <laughs> Who is the best actor of the town? Jeremy Renner. I also Jeremy. agree. I have Jeremy Renner and then I have Rebecca Hall as a uh, follow up. Who? What is the best shot? Or your favorite shot of the town? Oh, this is a great one. So it's during the Fenway heist, and I believe it was in the trailer. Oh my god, awesome I think I have shot. the same one. <laughs> my only problem with it is it's so short lived. So it's the same shot. Oh my god, hold on, can we mime it? No, no. Well, no one's not yeah, one's watching. Yeah. So during the heist, uh, I believe it's after uh, uh, Glones gets shot. Yeah, and then Dougie picks up the machine gun out of the ambulance and lifts it up to his shoulder over his head and starts firing. And it's a camera-mounted shot to the to the rifle. It's awesome. I have the same fucking shot. But it's only a second long. Yeah. If I ever met Ben Affleck, I'd be like, "Is there a 10-second shot of that?" Because it's so epic, and I love it. I wish it was longer. Dude, I picked the same shot. Yeah. And also, I I clearly remembered it from the trailer being like the trailer ended with that shot. The trailer slapped for the town, the, man. The trailer slapped, but the last thing we saw was Ben Affleck fucking firing the machine gun like right at right at the camera in that shot. And that's my favorite shot of the movie, too, because I've never seen a camera placement during the gun firing of a, a... I don't know if that's a submachine gun that he's carrying, but just the camera placement of it, he's, like, not shooting directly at the camera lens, but, like, just off. It's ba It feels it's like, like it's mounted yeah, to the camera. I it's mean, just to the like, gun. But, like, we're right up on it, and it's just like... the. It's just... It works, and it's such a great shot. It's one of my favorite, uh, like, shootout shots I've ever seen. I wonder if, if there's an edit in a cut where it's longer, but maybe yeah. it was, like, too much of a good thing. Maybe. I, but also, I agree. When I watched it last night, I was like, oh, fuck, if that was a three-second shot, it's only one second. Yeah, it's barely a second. But, man, it is maybe, maybe, the re maybe something happened in that shot where the camera could tilted be. or something. Yeah. So that, maybe that's as long as they could go with that shot. It feels like – I got to watch it again, but it feels like they mounted it right to the gun. Yeah. Or something. I think they did a it, I think they did a steady cam right up right up in front of Ben. True. That's what I think they it, did. That might be it, but it's yeah. awesome. Maybe they broke a camera. I can't believe we picked <laughs> the same fucking shot. That's great. It's fucking awesome it's so shot. Amazing. It's an awesome shot. Oh my god, I'm putting that on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is the best scene? The best scene of this movie is hands down the Fenway sequence. Even though it's really long. Um I would say the point where the tactical, where the moment where it gets quiet inside Fenway, uh -huh. and then Dougie looks around and realizes that, oh, we're about to be raided by SWAT and tactical team. So I think that's when it starts to really take off. But I would also say, actually, I think the opening heist is just great. I'm, I'm going to say the opening heist. That's a great pick. I picked the Fenway heist just because it was fucking Fenway. Yeah, but it's I like 30 the, minutes. I picked the whole thing. <laughs> All the whole thing. All of it. <laughs> num, 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 nums. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the Fenway monster though. Who Wally? Wally. What Willie? Wally. Wally. <laughs> so the the, the the Boston Red Sox mascot is named Wally, and he's just like this green furry monster. Well, they also they uh, added Tessie recently. Tessie. Oh yeah, I remember. Like yeah. five years ago, Tessie's a mascot. Imagine too. if if Wally got shot. Like <laughs> 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 yeah, gets like shot in the stomach. Feel a little woozy here, guys. <laughs> How could you do that to good old Wally? <laughs> Everything feels weird and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, feels so good. <laughs> oh my god, Wally the Green Monster. Oh my god, that's so funny. Okay, <laughs> final superlative. What is the best line of the movie? 
<laughs> Best line of the movie, it's got to be when Dougie, after he's talking to Claire and she talks about how some of the kids in the in the hood, they uh, were throwing bottles at her and, you know, as the, she's in the project walking to her car and they, they messed up her car and tagged it up and it's in the shop. He's like, oh, he's like, gets upset. He's like, oh, do you remember what they look like? And then he goes inside, he goes home and he talks to Jim and he goes, um, I, I need your help with something. I can't tell you what we're going to do and you can't ask me about it later and we're going to hurt some people. And then Jim just goes, whose car are we going to take? <laughs> <laughs> great line. Someone uh, responded with a gif to that on, on Twitter. It's great. It's great. My favorite line is during the Fenway heist, the early stages of it, when they first subdue the security guards outside of the, the money room, and then Doug goes up to the door of the money room, and he tells both the guys inside the money counters um, the names of their wives and their addresses to basically threaten, we'll kill, your, we'll kill your wives if you don't open this door. The Lindas want you to open this door. Can I say oh, my so quote? I didn't know you were going to Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus. I didn't know you were going to say That's that. That's my quote. favorite line where he goes, the Lindas want you to open the door. <laughs> <laughs> but James ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for blowing up my spot, man. <laughs> this is funny though. <laughs> it is funny, yeah. But I love it. It's because it's, um, it's a very intense situation. But then there's that lie. It's just funny. And also, Linda is such a fucking common name in Boston. It's so common. <laughs> well, the, what's so great about this movie is in all the, many of the intense moments, there are great moments of humor. Like after the the armored truck heist, the nun outfits, they swap their cars. They make it over the bridge in time before they close it. And then they stop to do the third Sorry, hold on. This old lady with the nun. <laughs> Sorry. The old woman who worked in a church her whole life as a nun outfit. <laughs> and then they go to swap the car again, and they get out of the Jeep, and there's just a cop and a cruiser looking right at them. It's You're like, oh, my God. And then the cop just turns his head. It's really funny. That's actually based on a real story. So Ben Affleck said that scene he heard from a bank robber he interviewed. So the scene where the cop turns away... When he sees the masked armed robbers getting away, he's based on that actual event during his research. It was me. I was the <laughs> robber. <laughs> well, people think that this movie's based on my life, but it's only a loose adaptation. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that says, like, hardcore robber like James Devity. <laughs> there was a time. There was a time. <laughs> oh, let's get to the second heist. Oh, slang first. Sl oh, slang, slang. So there's a good amount of Boston slang this in this movie. Not a ton. I don't even do they say wicked in this movie. I haven't. Heard, I didn't hear wicked at all. So wicked for us means very like wicked, cool, wicked, fun, wicked hot. So we never say something is wicked. That's a that's the British thing. They'll say like in Harry Potter. Oh, that's wicked. Well, they will either mean cool or evil for yeah, exactly. Okay, but in Boston and in New England, pretty much, we say wicked like you said as an adverb. It's wicked cool. Wicked that that party was wicked fun. The game was wicked crazy. So you don't say something is wicked. You say something is wicked something. Exactly. And there's not a ton of Boston slang this, but there's a good amount. So Toonie is one of the funnier ones. Toonie's basically someone, technically it's very specific for someone who's not from Charlestown, from Charleston. And so you call someone not from Charlestown a Toonie, but it can also kind of mean yuppie or someone who, but yuppie for us means someone who's affluent, 
uppity from a nice area, nice town. From Chestnut Hill. Chestnut Hill, Newton, something like Lincoln. that. Lincoln. They're, they're Richie Rich, Richie Rich Lexington. That's a yuppie. And then, I still use that term. But not everyone in Lexington's a yuppie, but there are yuppies because we probably have listeners in Lexington. But we actually, I real quick, some of my favorite Boston slangs that's not in this movie is we call shopping carts carriages. Yeah. So a shopping cart is a carriage. Trash cans we call barrels. Barrels. So I still say barrel sometimes, and I'll, be, I'll ask someone, where's your barrel? And they'll look at me like I'm crazy. Like a wooden barrel yeah. with beer? Yeah. So, uh, malt, uh, malt liquor? <laughs> a liquor store is called a packy. A packy. Packy. That comes from packing house from back in Prohibition days. And then, we said it earlier, cigarettes are called butts. So smoke a butt, rip a butt. That's a th- I think that's pretty... I'm not That's sure. It's universal. I'm not sure. Well, more specific to packies and, and liquor, those little mini bottles of alcohol, we call them nips. 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 That's right. Uh, water fountain. So like a fountain you drink out of, we call it a bubbler. What if you're drinking out of like the fountain at the mall? You still call that? No, I know. It's a, it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the pennies in it. <laughs> bubbler. Hey, where's the bubbler? <laughs> where's the fucking bubbler guy? <laughs> we I'm actually... Not- <clears throat> there's a... Difference between, I mean, some people say pop, some people say soda. We grew up saying soda. Yeah, but our dad said pop. Dad says pop, yeah. The, the, I have a funny story about Bubbler where when I went to college in Western Massachusetts, uh-huh. so they don't really have the Boston slang out there. And I remember, I think it was my freshman year, year I was just walking through the hallways and I was parched. I was parched. And so I was walking and there, I couldn't find a Bubbler, and then some random girl was walking down the hallway and I stopped her. I'm like, hey, uh, excuse me, do you know where there's a bubbler? And she's like, a what? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, uh, a water fountain. So even in Western Massachusetts, bubbler and Boston yeah. slang isn't used very often. So another great one that doesn't make any sense for anyone outside of the area, we call milkshakes fraps. So you go get a, you don't get a milkshake, you go get a frap. So I didn't even know what the term milkshake was until I was a teenager. You used to go to Friendly's and get Oreo fraps. Yeah, or, and also speaking of fraps, so we call chocolate sprinkles jimmies. Yeah. So if you get ice cream and you want chocolate sprinkles, you say, can I get some vanilla ice? Can I get two scoops of vanilla ice cream with Jimmy's? Then they'll throw the chocolate sprinkles on top. But you don't call the rainbow sprinkles Jimmy's. You, you call don't. them the sprinkles. Yeah, you just call them the sprinkles. Um, the Cape Cod is just called the Cape. The Cape Kid. The Cape. Um, we say kid a lot. So they say in this movie too, <clears throat> we say kid. It's a term of endearment for your friends. Yeah. Kid. So, oh, um, we say pissa. Well, our dad says pissa. We don't really say pissa. That's an older term. Yeah, that's a generational people, yeah. thing. Yeah. But people who are over, probably over the age of forty, every people commonly say the word pissa as awesome. So, oh, that's pissa, or that's wicked pissa. This is a, that was that game was pissa last night. We destroyed the Lakers. It was great. So pissa means awesome. I said a slang word <laughs> a few times in this episode already. I said cruiser. Now yes. that's what we call police cars in Massachusetts. A cruiser, like a a police cruiser or a state police cruiser or a statey. That's what we call state police. Statey, yeah. Also, so the one of the main highways in Boston is the Mass Turnpike. We just call it the Pike. The Pike. Kid. The Pike guy. The, the train station. I mean, the trains in Boston. We call the T. The MBTA. Yeah, it's just called the T. The fucking T guy. <laughs> also, the last one. Uh, roundabouts in Boston and in New England are called rotaries, not roundabouts. We never use the word roundabout. We always say rotary. I mean, yeah, then uh, saying something like banging a U-E, that's a U-turn. Banging a U-E, yeah. Banging a U-E is a U-turn. Yeah. yeah. There's so many. Yeah. There's Dunks, donkeys. Donkeys. Yeah, there's, there's a ton. But uh, a couple others in the movie, they say tuned up. Like, he got tuned up. That means you got beat up, like, real bad. That guy got tuned up. Real bad guy. And then parlor. So Dougie's father says parlor. He says you were puking, you got sick in parlor. Parlor's a living room. 
But Parlo is an old one. People don't really say it that often anymore. And um, generation. Another sure. old one is calling your basement a cellar. The cellar, yeah. The cellar, cellar. Go down in the cellar. Go down in the cellar. Get us a couple waters. <laughs> the fridge downstairs. <laughs> All right, let's get back into the movie. So, uh, a couple of the other actors we haven't spoken about. Rebecca Hall is uh, an extremely talented actor, and she. This was during the early rise of her career. She was in the Prestige in two thousand six. Also in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And then The Town was a really big hit for her as being like a, a main actor in the film. Because um, The Prestige, she's uh, probably fifth or sixth build. But in this film, she's pretty much one of the main supporting actors. And it's a big hit movie, so it's really big for Hollywood to be in this movie and be a lead in it. And then after this, she was in Iron Man 3 and her just her doing the solo lead films and horror films and a bunch of other great movies. But this, I think, was a big moment in her career to put her on the map in Hollywood in America. She just made her directorial debut with Passing a couple of years ago in 2021, I believe, which was at Sundance Film Festival. We it was 2020. It. Was it 2020? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was, 20, or no, was 2021. 2021. 2021. 2021. 2021. And she's terrific in this movie. She's very charming. She's... It's a tough role because the opening sequence, she is the bank manager. She has a great job being terrified, obviously, but then also connecting with this robber for a moment who calms her down to open the safe. And then she has to play this role of this character who has gone through such a traumatic experience of being a part, not just a bank robbery at the bank, but being a hostage and then being let go, blindfolded, and then working with the FBI for the first half of the film, trying to do what she can to give them information about the, the robbers, but then, towards the end of the film, now that it's revealed that Dougie is one of the robbers, one of the suspects, now she's going to potentially be a suspect as well. And she has to basically try to figure out how to get herself out of trouble, even though technically she didn't really do anything wrong. She got duped in a lot of ways by Dougie, which you understand why she's so upset. But she has to protect herself because Dougie screws her, basically, because once it gets picked up on the FBI's tailing of her and uh, listening on her phones, they hear Dougie's voice. They might they assume she might be in on the whole thing. Yeah, from the outsider's perspective, she got a brand new, very expensive necklace. She has a relationship with the bank robber. She quit her job and she's going to be moving. So too many things adding up to the possibility of her definitely being involved. So you're right. He does basically put her in a horrible spot just by starting the relationship with her. Although it's still better than what Jem wanted to do. And Jem pretty much implied that it might be good to... First, scare her, intimidate her, enough. and then maybe even take her out. So that's why Doug takes over. Oh, he definitely wanted to take her out. He's yeah. like, should we remove her from the equation? What are you, a trigger man now? What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> You're the reason why we're in this situation. Yeah, Jem is a problem. He does get them into bad situations, but you understand because him and Dougie have such strong history together. Like I said earlier, Dougie, after his mother left, and, and his, obviously he didn't know that she had died and committed suicide. He thought she was abandoned. Obviously, his father is off in prison after he gets pinched. He gets taken in by Jem's family and is a part of their home. He's their brothers, basically. You know, they're, they're thick as thieves, as they say. And Dougie, we get a little backstory later on in the film of why Jem was in prison for nine years at Walpole. He killed a guy that was going to go kill Dougie. He said, I heard that this guy was going up to you with a 9mm, and so I found him first, and I took him out myself. So you don't have to thank me for what I did, but you're not fucking leaving. 
I put him in the ground. He was rolling up with the, on you with the Glock. Exactly. So I rolled up on him first. And so he saved Dougie's life. And Dougie owes him. And Dougie knows he owes Jim. That's why he says yes to the second heist, even though he's not excited about it. He's, he's like, this. the guy, he, he tucks his boots, he, he tucks his pants into his combat boots. He wears his vest on the outside. He thinks he's goddamn G.I. Joe. It's a bad score, but they do it anyways because he knows he owes Jem his life. And same thing with the Fenway job. He knows he owes Jem his, his life. He wants Jem. That's why Jem's pushing it to go faster, as well as obviously Fergie kind of blackmails him in a lot of ways. And also Jem, he's such a loose cannon and he's so unpredictable. There's that. There's a fear that he might even take Doug out eventually because when they have that argument and that little tussle outside of the cemetery where he put that guy down, um, Jem whacks him in the head with the with his pistol, and that subdues Doug to sit down and basically ends the fight. But Jem's just still holding on to that onto that pistol, and you're like, man, he would fucking kill him if he wanted to. Like, Doug, I think that Doug is in in danger from from Jem if he doesn't do what he wants as well as well as owing him. But also, Jem, I think would kill him. It's possible. I mean, yeah. it's possible because. You know, Jem is such a wild card. He talks about how, like, I'm not going to prison again. He's like, it's, the funny thing about prison is all the people pretending they want to get out. He's like, I can't do any more time. I'm done. If we get in a pinch, I'm going out. We're going to go out guns blazing. And, and so he does. He, so yeah. he is prepared to die, Jem is. That's that's an interesting point. I love the, I love Jem's death. It's one of the most realistic-looking deaths I've ever seen in a movie, and it really struck me the first time I saw it because we've seen so many action movies where – a uh, guy gets shot dead center in the forehead with a drop of blood going down. Like, how many times is that? Like, perfectly centered. And it's 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 so ridiculous, that kind of accuracy. But uh, Jem, when he gets shot, and Ben shoots it, he does two shots. He does, like, a medium and then a very wide. And he so he cuts to, he gets shot twice, and then he goes, cuts to the wide, and he gets shot multiple times. But he gets shot in the, like, in the cheek, and in, like, the bottom left of his jaw. And it's like what more realistic gun wounds would look like and also the way that like the hole is just sunk into his face it's it's not like a little dot it's like really just caved in that area of his face and his cheek and his jaw and then a couple of stuff like his shoulder and chest so i think that renner's death in the town is one of the most accurate looking gun deaths i've ever seen yeah plus he goes out guns blazing with empty yeah. magazines with no weapons death but however there is a headshot in this movie with uh, Glonzy. Yes. He gets taken out dead center. But that's different because you talk about SWAT, sniper, extremely accurate, and they're waiting for them to pop up. And also, he was standing there for, you can assume, a few seconds. Oh, no, it wasn't Glonzy. It was the other one. It was Desi. The Desi, yeah. After the uh, the the flash grenades. That headshot I get because it's an experienced sniper uh, of the SWAT team. What, what I really like about this movie, besides the heists, is obviously we have the perspective of the police and obviously the FBI which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, but I think it works really well in this film because John Hamm's awesome in this movie, and the FBI agent he plays, he's not perfect. He's not a perfect guy. He does things unorthodox as well, and he's willing to get his hands dirty in order to catch these guys by kind of forging evidence to try to bring them in to try to get a confession, which obviously they have nothing on him. He's like, get me a print. Get me something that looks like a print so I can bring these guys in. This is the no fucking around crew, and that's what's going to happen with us. We're not going to fuck around either anymore. And... What's actually legitimate about this movie is the tracing of evidence and discovering of evidence because they are untouchable. They can't get a thing about these guys, not really until at first they discover the lead from Vericom where Desi worked at Vericom. There are records of him working there, which is the only way that they could have sh shut down the security at the bank heist 
to be able to get in there like that. So I think it was a really clever way to have legitimate ways of discovering who the crew is, as well as the surveillance and everything like that. And they didn't have much to bring them in for questioning, but it got to the point where they had so little that we just need to bring them in. And <clears throat> then after that sequence, they're tracing their calls, and that's how they get uh, the, the tapped call of Doug talking to Claire. But I, I do enjoy uh, the interrogation scene, especially between Doug and uh, FBI agent uh, Adam Frawley. But also, I mean, like I said earlier, Titus Welliver as Dino... Uh, Campa, he's fantastic as well in the scene, and they have that great back and forth about, like you said earlier, Doug looks at him as a rat. You're from Charlestown. These people, they raised you. They told you all their secrets, everything you need to know about them, and then you use it against them to arrest them and lock them up. So you're a rat. And it's interesting to look at. He's not like ratting on anyone, like a rival gang, like a rival criminal, but being a cop and arresting your own kind, essentially, like Charlestown people look at themselves as even separate from anyone else. Like they're their own people in their own community. And he, as a police officer, has been betraying that community. Yeah, it's like the opening credits with the quote from the man from Massachusetts. Like the anonymous man says, Charlestown literally, I'm proud to be from Charlestown. It literally ruined my life, but I'm proud. They're very proud people yeah. if you're from Charlestown. Yeah, I, I think that growing up, it was growing up, there's like this rep quality based upon what neighborhood you're from. And the rougher the neighborhood, the cooler you were. And this is as this is like teenage years and high school years. And and if if you went to a party or a social social situation of any kind, there would be people people would talk about where they're from. And Charlestown, Southie, Lowell, Brockton, these are all uh, Roxbury, West Rox Roxbury. These are rough neighborhoods. They're tough areas. And so there's kind of like there was this clout factor when we were growing up. And if you were from any of these neighborhoods, like it elevated you in terms of social stance and like the social hierarchy. It didn't depend. And also like Bostonians don't give a shit about money or wealth. It doesn't matter if you're rich or not. That has no say on social status at all. It's all about where you're from. And it's so it's actually kind of reversed from many other communities. So the, the poorer, rougher neighborhood you're, you're from. The cooler, more clout you have. I wouldn't say it's cool. Not it's cool. Just yeah, like the, the like yeah, the clout. Yeah, the clout. Socially, it, it kind of puts you up in the social status. You're more Boston. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic that you don't see often. Yeah, it's it's like you're the most Boston at the yeah. at wherever you are. You're like the toughest because yeah, you're exactly. from a tough area. Yeah. Rep is really important. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to heist, that first heist is terrific. The second heist is great as well, where they're taking down an armored truck. Again, Dougie doesn't like this heist. The the guy, G.I. Joe, doesn't like it. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. But Jem's forcing his hand, basically. And so they do it, and everything goes well up until the security guard, guard gets to drop on one of them, and then Jem kills him. Now, this is a huge problem for Doug and his crew because, of course, armed robbery is a lot. If you get caught, you're going to prison for a long time. However manslaughter and murder you're getting life sentences you're going to jail for the rest of your life so that's why it's a big deal to doug and he doesn't like this situation it's just like when he goes takes uh jim to go beat those guys up to tune them up because of the story claire told him and then jim takes a little too far he takes the gun out and shows his face and then in the car doug says something listen i'm not ready to go out and kill people like i'm not that that's not me and then jim goes well that's what happens when you bring me like you invited me that's that's who I am. Yeah. So if you if you start murdering and start start killing, 
that turn it's the same thing with hostage taking it's it's upping the sentences of your crime if you get caught exactly and and obviously it's morally horrible 100 percent. and the strength of the second sequence isn't the heist part but the the chase sequence and the chase sequence like we said earlier is fantastic dynamic from filmmaking excellent cinematography you don't lose sight of what's going on uh, the Elswit and affleck and company did a great job of making sure the audience was well aware of the surroundings and and all the pieces of the chase. And like we said earlier, having a car chase through Boston, through these winding streets, through these narrow areas, never seen it before on screen. And I remember everybody talking about it. Uh, There's a lot of buzz about this movie in, in the city before it came out and talking about how, oh my God, we're getting a chase scene in, in Beacon Hill. Oh my God, a car, like North shootout end. in the North End, shootout. Like what? Oh my God, this is amazing. Like it was just so cool. Never seen it before. I mean, just the brick architecture. And the sequence is excellent. These guys are so prepared. They know where to go. They know where their Jeep Cherokee is going to be. They park in a way that it obstructs the other vehicles. And they also, when they're shooting at, like spraying bullets at these cops, they're, they're sh not shooting to kill. You can clearly see they're shooting to get the cops away from them. Oh, they, they kill the cops in this they, one. Do they? Some of them, yeah. Do they? They say to take out the engine blocks, yeah. but uh, they definitely spray the windshields as well. I think you, I, yeah, I think you might be right. But they... They do burn up that car immediately. Because before they start killing, that's the uh -huh. plan is to take out the, the engine blocks. That's when Dougie's giving, like, the pep talk, basically, before the first heist. And he's saying, take out the engine block Or before the heist, like, shoot the engine blocks. I think you're wrong because when uh, Frawley interrogates Doug after this, they're not um, wanted for murder because that security guard survived. He said he's clinging on for life. I'm not sure any cops got killed in this sequence. It looks like it, but maybe not. They definitely got killed in the Fenway sequence. They definitely sprayed the windshields, though. They definitely, yeah, they did spray the I mean, you gotta get out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do. But it's a great, great chase. And then, obviously, the chase to get to the bridge before it's closed off. It's exciting. Yeah. Swapping cars a couple times, lighting the van on fire, and creating a blockage. It's, it's crazy cool and also very clever. And even though it didn't go to plan, they got away, and they got the money. And obviously paid their dues to Fergie. Now, there's a relationship in this film that's really important to Doug as a character, which might leave people guessing is why he doesn't stay with Krista. Why doesn't creator have a relationship with Krista? And is Shine, the daughter, really Dougie's? And I think it's pretty clear. Obviously, Dougie says it too to Jem, who Jem's like, I'm not going to be playing house with you and Shine and Krista. Like, that's never going to fucking happen. Get that through your fucking head. Like, that's not going to be the four of us hanging out playing house. It's not my kid. And Krista... Why doesn't Dougie stay with Krista even though they've been together for their whole lives, she says when she's talking to Frawley. And it's probably because, you know, Dougie wants out of this world. He wants out of this life. And Krista is a part of Charlestown. She'll always be a memento of that place. She'll be If he stays with her, he'll stay there forever. And so it's a, it's a reminder of Charlestown. So she is. And so he's got to leave Krista. He's, he's not going to be with Krista anymore. Even though he's not really. They just hook up here and there probably. And he doesn't want to be with her. That's basically what it is. Even though she wants to stay with him and wants him to stay, and that's ultimately what bites him in the ass with the and ruins the Fenway heist for him is he turns down Krista, who hysterically wants to stay there with him right before their heist. And then she gets a DWI, crashes her car, and now she's going to lose shine or give up information on Dougie, and that's how the FBI and the cops know that they're hitting Fenway. Yeah, Blake did a great job. Like we said earlier, her accent's really solid, and she she really feels like a, a city girl. Um, I think she did a, a wonderful job with the characterization. It's it's the best acting I've ever seen her do, honestly. And it's it's the, she represents, like, 
not just Charlestown, but like his also his past life that he's he's trying to separate himself from. You know, his drug addiction, his alcohol addiction. She still is using drugs daily, and he's out of that. He's he's sober. He's drinking what cranberry juice or whatever that Shirley Temple <laughs> they joke about. So <laughs> poor sober bastard. Poor sober bastard. <laughs> so cranberry. He's juice. A, he's trying to escape his past. He's trying to move on from his past, and so she is a represent. She's a like a memento of her past, like you said, of his past. So he has to leave her, and he he can never be with her if he wants to move on and get away. And he wants that second chance, and he sees that with Claire. That's why he gives Claire the diamond necklace. How many? You've been with him your whole life. How many, Doug, how many diamond necklaces did Doug give you? What do you mean? Because he loves Claire, and he, he sees Claire as a way out or as a, a second life, and he asks her to go start a new life with him, and they agree, and it's actually really sweet and touching. And Fergie's also a really interesting character who basically runs the block, runs the neighborhood. If you pull a scam, if you pull a heist, you got to pay your dues. you gotta get a, you got to give him a cut. And we learn more about – you can tell Dougie doesn't like Fergie. Because he knows that his father worked for Fergie and his father's in prison. and But he doesn't find out until later that Fergie tells him that, like, I'm the reason why your mother is gone, why she's dead. She, your father didn't want to work for me anymore. He also wanted his own thing. He wanted his own thing. He wanted to do his own stuff, make his own money, do his own heists. So what I do, I got your mother hooked on drugs, and then she eventually killed herself. And you should have seen you running around the neighborhood in your underwear looking for her like a hopeless little kid. And there's nothing Doug can do at the moment because he threatens him with Claire. And he, they put the funeral arrangement outside Claire's apartment. So Dougie has to accept that job for Fergie to rob Fenway. And one of the most interesting lines, I think, in this movie is when Fergie is talking to the guys, the four of them on that bench, talking about the heist with the information they have. They have a guy who works at Fenway who has a gambling debt and addiction. He couldn't pick a, pick a horse to save his fucking life, he says. <laughs> And Fergie says, I can see all your daddy's faces on you, which is really interesting showing that, like the opening credit roll says, that it's basically robbing and, and crime is sort of passed down generationally. It's a family father, trade. Father to son, a family trade, just like it would be like plumbing or a family business or architecture or construction, something like that. So I see all. I can see all your daddy's faces on you. It's really great. Pete Postlethwaite is an amazing actor, and he, he's an iconic, legendary Irish actor. And so, getting him in this role, it's a big deal. Like he, he in Gone Baby Gone, he had Morgan Freeman, Ed Harris. I mean, big heavy hitters. And then Postlethwaite is a, is a heavy hitter from Europe. So having him in this role, I think, adds so much prestige to the movie. And he's actually based on a real character, a, re, a real person who was a real gangster, ran a neighborhood, and also fronted a flower shop through his nefarious practices. And clean that money. And there's actually a couple other movies that have adapted that character and put him into their movie with like this thug, this gangster florist. But you, I like how you said that Doug clearly doesn't like him because both times that Doug and Jem go to see him, Jem shakes the guard's hand and then Fergie's hand, like he daps them up, but Doug doesn't dap anyone up. Even say anything, he doesn't really. say anything. He just looks at them, nods. He has no respect for them, but he understands he has to do this. It's the way the neighborhood runs. It's, it's the way this whole cycle works in the crime world. We have to pay him the cut, but he's not going to say anything to him. The Fenway heist is just epic. It is the Cathedral of Boston. It's so yeah. cool to be there. Obviously, I think it's awesome to be the, like the, the week of 
see uh, the, the hit that Poppy gets like to get a go ahead run or something like that. Yeah. It's really cool. Oh, when they when they went to the stadium, they're just scoping yeah. the stadium out. Yeah, I saw this interview with Renner and said he said Renner when they were prepping for the movie, Affleck took him to a couple of games. And Renner said he was blown away by like the the baseball culture of Boston. It's just on another level. Yeah, part of the it's DNA. Like, he's of like he was like calling it like this crazy special environment that I've never been in. It's insane, especially that era. But I mean, before, oh yeah. Before, I mean, the two thousands was in the prime time to be a Red Sox fan and be in the city. Like we, we peaked. We were spoiled with Sox and Patriots. So spoiled. Good sports life growing up. But the Fenway heist is epic on every single level. It's very clever. You know, they go in as cops. They subdue the guards very cleverly, saying there's a miscommunication about a 911 call. The money room is really interesting and really cool to see, like, behind the doors and inside the the workings of a stadium like this, especially an old one like Fenway. And then swapping uniforms to paramedics. However, they don't count on being an entire police force outside waiting for them. Obviously, they don't know, but... Uh, Krista has told them, obviously, the FBI what's happening. It's like it reminds me of Dog Day Afternoon when (laughs) the detective calls Pacino. He's like, what are you doing in there? Attica! (laughs) You are fucked. (laughs) I got you by the balls. And it's a great scene when, like you mentioned earlier, when they're loading up the ambulance and everything worked perfectly. They got the money. They're disguised as EMTs now, loading up the van, and then... Doug just notices, like, there was this place was once bustling with workers prepping for the, tonight's game. Then it's so quiet, and he, he steps out into the opening and looks through, and nobody's around. It's a, de- it's a quiet dead zone. He's like, fuck. And then he looks out the window, and he sees the entire Boston PD just waiting outside. It's such a great moment, and that silence just really like solidifies the suspense. The shootout's awesome. There's a ton of bullets sprayed, so reminiscent of heat. It's back and forth, and obviously a more con- closed and contained area, like inside Fenway versus out on the streets. But, I mean, great moments, and as well as the death of the two soldiers, the two other guys. First, Glonesy gets killed, and then Desi gets shot after the flash grenades. And then they cleverly escape in their police outfits, which actually Glonzy comes up with the idea. They're looking for paramedics. They're not looking for cops, and they just get out, and you think they're going to get away. But then, obviously, Frawley finds a cop with a giant bag, and it ends up being uh, Jem, and Jem gets killed, which we talked about earlier. But then Dougie basically gets away. Unfortunately, he sees Jem's death, but he gets away. Scott Free's got backup plan to get a uh, MBTA employee outfit when he gets back to his place. And then that phone call with with Claire when she's got the FBI at her house, it's so reminiscent of Heat, Val yeah. Kilmer's character. Yeah. And, um, oh, what's her name? Amy, Ashley Judd, man. Yeah, Ashley Judd. And it's, it's actually, there's a, it's, it's, it's really clever the way they wrote it and acted it out where, you know, Dougie thinks that he's lost Claire emotionally, but he hasn't really because... She he sees with the binoculars that the cops are there, and she's like, "You should you should come here, come here and see me. I really want to see you." Like, uh, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll be there." But then she says that thing, "But I really want to see you, and it'll be like one of my sunny days," which tells him that like even though he knows the cops are there, he knows that she doesn't know that he knows the cops are there. But yeah. now he knows that she knows she's giving she's him a hint, giving him hint that yeah. the cops are there. Yeah. And then he's like, "That's why he smiles." Like, "Oh man, I, I still got it." Yeah, because because <laughs> she says earlier in the film, her her younger brother passed away on a sunny day, and so whenever she sees a sunny day, 
It's reminding she thinks of death. I honestly don't like that line though. She's like, my brother died on a day like this. What every like the sun's always out. Like <laughs> every day of summer. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's terrible that it, it, the sun reminds you of, your, of yeah. the death of your brother, but still, it's just like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Man, get off her back. She's I mean, getting I'm over being, a tragedy. I'm being such a jerk. Yeah, I'm not getting, no, I'm just the screenwriting, not her. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Claire's great, man. Claire's great, <laughs> and he gets away. I love how he gets away. It's a, it's a happy ending, and the happy endings work sometimes. Happy it, it does. It does. So, but actually, they did film a different ending. Want to hear? Well, hold on. The first ending, obviously, is he gets away. He leaves a tangerine in the bag of money he leaves to the Boys and Girls Club, which she donates generously in his mother's she name. Do, she donated the tangerine. <laughs> 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 this is actually our mother and our, our father's mother's name are in this movie. Janice is in this movie. The name Janice, as well as Doris, Doris. is his mother. Yeah. Our, our our father's mother's name is Doris. So in memory of Doris uh, McRae is the ice hockey rink, which is really great. So that's really cool. It's such a Boston name, Doris. Yeah, Linda, Doris, yeah. Janice. <laughs> and then uh, the tangerines there. You can kind of make up for your mind if they ever get reunited. I don't think they'll ever see each other again. But it's really sweet, but it's obviously a hint that I went to Florida. I think she'll go see him. Yeah, and then he, he goes and lives on some random bayou or some random... Out on the bayou! <laughs> some random area in Florida. <laughs> so the other ending is they film the sequence where when Doug goes and kills Fergie, and he, uh, he blows his nuts off in the movie. I love that scene. It's great. Who did you say was Clipped Your Nuts? Who are you going to tell Clipped Your Nuts? Man, what a, I mean, and I like the cutaway. We don't see it happen. You just cuts to the next scene. Yeah, because the black for a few frames. So the way they originally filmed that sequence was um, Fergie shoots back at him a couple of times, and then Doug gets mortally wounded. Oh, yeah, because it just hits his uh, vest. Yeah. And so they filmed the sequence ending where Doug goes to Claire's apartment and dies in her arms. And that was the end of the film. And that's the, actually the ending the studio wanted. And that's how they were planning to release it. But they did test screenings. And the test screenings overwhelmingly said that the happier ending was better. So then I like they, it too. they went with the happy ending. I think it works. I like to it's see him simple. like he got relief. He was able to escape. And he's, you know, he's getting a, a third chance at life. And he, he fucked up so much in the past. And I think he went through so much turmoil and hell. That he he deserves a new a new life. Yeah, he did his reset. best to get out. He he got out. I like to like. I think it's nice, but I don't think they'll ever meet each other or see each other again. But I do like the ending a lot better. And I think that's a great shot of of Dougie just like leaning over his railing, looking at the sunset. It's just a quick shot. He's it's, got a beard. Yeah, he's like a different person. Yeah, it, it's really great. And no more though, high fade. It, I, but I'll, however, I will say like it probably wouldn't be hard for the FBI to find him. Just like anyone with a Boston accent in Florida <laughs> <laughs> that isn't old. <laughs> Because we're all old people move. Buster, to, yeah, everyone retiring. from New England retires in Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty nice place to retire if you're old. I mean, Tampa Bay is pretty cool. Why? Because Tom lived there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't even, I've Brady never, lived there for three years. I've never even been to Tampa Bay. Acting like you, yeah, you've never been there. <laughs> but that's... That's, a, that's the town that's guy. That's the town. I have... Uh, hold on. Okay. I have some fun facts. So the MLB actually had to sign off on the entire Fenway Park sequence. Did they really? They were cool with the entire thing except for gore and violence being too extreme. So there's actually another version of Desi's death when he gets sniped out in the headshot where the originally Ben Affleck had blood spray all over the van from the wound. But the MLB 
they sign off on everything except for that, and they asked for the blood spray to get removed. Why? Like, it's... I don't know, man. <laughs> I fucking... I have no idea. It makes idea. no sense. I have no idea. For what? I don't know. He gets shot just, in the head. Just getting shot in the head. Yeah, it's just branding, I guess. I don't know. It's on an ambulance. So they... they... It's not like the MLB, like, like they approve of this. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Because, I mean, I think that... Baseball stadiums are still under the the licensing. No, I get it. Yeah, they want yeah. it to be as like family, family friendly. Not family, even though he's no, getting yeah. shot in the head, I get it. I don't know, man. It's just he, he gets a headshot. Yeah. So they wanted less blood, which I mean, it's silly, but I mean, it wouldn't happen. I don't think that they would have a problem with it now, like because now they're like, just give us as much press as you can, just make people know we're here. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. They're losing ratings. But I think it. I, I, I think it would have been cool to see like the blood the blood spray right there. Um. Ba 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 ba. I, we've said all the other fun facts during the episode, so yeah, that's it. I love the town; it's fucking wicked awesome. Now, I wonder if they would be even be able to do this kind of sequence today because Fenway, since this movie came out, has been named a uh, national landmark, a historical landmark in Massachusetts. I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on whoever owns the property. Well, the Henrys, like John yeah. Henry, owns. It. I think it would be it would be up to them about being filmed, like filming. Which is there. why, like, only Ben could have pulled this movie off, probably. Yeah, I think they wouldn't have done it for anyone. Like, I'm sure other movies have tried to film there. It's Ben Affleck. It's because it's it's different from with something like Fever Pitch and a couple other movies. They film during games, and they'll have the actors acting in the stands, and it would be like during a game. Yeah, but there's not a shootout. It's not. A, it's not a fucking <laughs> action shootout. That would probably take probably took them three weeks to film all that bro imagine if this shootout was on the field oh man that would have been crazy holy shit i bet you ben wanted to do that yeah yeah i know like the uh, dark knight rises pittsburgh stadium explosion would have been cool like that was cool to see that so you can't do that nolan did it in in with football but i mean it's just i love this movie it's really great i think after heat it is the the best cops and robbers movie after heat yeah i mean this century, it's got to be when it comes to just a cops and robbers yeah. movie. It probably is the best. This it's, it hits all the beats. It it it's really really well done. It's so well made, and you know Ben, no one like again like I said earlier, Gone Baby Gone surprised everybody, but then the town blew everybody's fucking hair back. Man, everyone was like, "Holy shit, this guy can direct his ass off." This movie's epic. I love it so much. The town. Thank you for listening and tuning in to Raiders of the Lost podcast. Thank you so much for your support around the world. Again, leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple. Share us with your family members and friends. If you know anyone from Massachusetts, share this episode for sure. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost podcast. And take care, everybody. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our chosen one patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Darian, Tyler McFly and Sal Koching. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button as well. Notifications for sure. Listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere. You can listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out this other content we have on our YouTube channel.